Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Stephanie's story includes everything that can happen in a domestic violence relationship. Part one not only has everything, it has too much. For those of you who have not experienced domestic violence, you must be asking yourself why people stay. Stephanie explains why she stayed. She was mentally and physically under siege with the man she was dating. At times, she even believed she was the cause of her own misery. This is Stephanie's story. Stephanie, I just want to welcome you to the When Dating Hurts podcast, and I just appreciate so much that you want to tell your story and you've stopped your day to do this. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. That's, that's very nice. I appreciate that. So if you don't mind flipping the calendar back to the beginning and start us off when you're, you're just a little kid and... Tell us about you were adopted and how that started to get rolling for you because you didn't, again, capture too many breaks. So, yeah, as it were, I'm actually a love child. So, I was the product of an affair between a married man and a single woman. And my biological mom moved to Los Angeles with her sister, who's the only person she told that she was pregnant. So, none of her family knew and had me secretly. And then my adopted mom, who's my mom, my mom couldn't have kids because she had a hysterectomy. when She was young. They adopted my brother. And then three years later, they adopted me. Okay. In your mind growing up, I mean, they really were mom and dad for you. Yeah. I mean, I was adopted when I was six weeks old. My parents never sat me down and had the talk with me like, Hey, we want to let you know. I just, I always knew I was adopted. They must've told me just started telling us when I was really little because I have zero memory of having a, a specific talk about it. I just always knew. And, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was a horrible childhood. I think parents got me. I had a lot of stomach issues. I don't think I was held, like, for the first six weeks. I think I was, like, sort of left in a crib with propped with a bottle, like, in a foster home. Like, I wasn't a super bonding experience with my caretaker. So my mom was very loving, as was my dad, but they started fighting, arguing, probably when I was about, I have memories of it pretty young. I want to say like as young as like five, maybe. And then my dad started, I mean, I remember him slapping my mom. I remember hearing that. And I I probably was more was probably going on than what the incident that I heard. And she eventually left, said she was going to a party and just never came home. She left with who's now been her husband for, gosh, they've been married, I want to say 35 years or more. So she had something kind of in the, she had something in the works with somebody and she went to the party and that, and I guess the suitcase or or not was somewhere else. And that that was her getaway. She went to a party and that was it. That was her getaway. Bye mom. Yeah. And a lot of people, 
other family members thought it was so disgusting and how could she do this? But even as a kid, somehow I had this knowledge that she was doing the best she could do with what she knew. And she probably felt like it was the safest route for not only her, but for us, for my brother and I. It was very volatile at that time. And it was hard. And that was even volatile to you and your brother at this point? I would say the yelling. He never really hit us. He wasn't like... But I mean, he was kind of a ticking time bomb walking around, you think, just to me. He was just angry at the world. I think he was frustrated with what was happening. That is... It's all on him now. Yeah. And then he had to provide. And my mom was kind of the breadwinner. So... Oh, gee. Yeah, that that would bother a guy, too. It was a struggle. I mean, there was... Yeah, it was hard. But things... So I lived with... It was my dad, my brother, and I for about two years. And then... As I started developing when I was about 10, I went to live with my mom and my stepdad. Um, And that was so hard because I was so attached to my father. The idea of leaving him was, it was just really hard because I was was close with him despite some of his outbursts. We were, he was a loving father. But I mean, why did that, why did it switch over? Why did you switch to your mother? Just because I was developing as a young girl, you know, and I, I needed a woman in my life. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Okay. I mean, I didn't know if he, he was kind of done with kids and wanted to do no. something else, but it just made sense. I get it. Did your brother stay yeah. with the father? My brother stayed with my dad. Ah. And then I would, I would go every other holiday, like every other summer and it was awesome. And, but I do remember every time I had to part ways with him, I would just be devastated. Like I was inconsolable. Mm. I hated that drop off. They would meet halfway in central California and do the exchange. And at this point, my mom and my dad were on good terms. Like they co-parented all that anger, all that animosity had dissipated and it was, it was fine. It must've been also strange sort of saying goodbye to your father, but also your brother again and again and again. Right. I guess he was there at the drop off too. Yeah, it was hard. It's like meeting at the border, handing the prisoner over in Russia or some kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. So so fast forward through high school, I was really good in sports. I was a softball player. Um, I was a very gifted pitcher and I played first base. Mm-hmm. My stepdad was my coach. It was like, it was actually very healthy for me because I was such an active child. When I was younger, I was in like three different, I was in gymnastics, dance. I was, I just, my mom had to keep me very busy because I had so much energy. So softball was a really good um, application for me to focus my energy. And I was really good at it. So it was like a huge confidence builder. I knew, I know what it felt like to be in like a flow state in the zone, you know, at a pretty young age mm-hmm. and probably around puberty, I would say like maybe freshman year in high school, sophomore year in high school, I started getting picked on my mom and my stepdad for a time. It wasn't forever, but for a time, they were kind of hoarders in terms like they had we had like 15 dogs and these dogs just ran amok in the house and our house was really gross mm. and it was embarrassing and so I didn't ever have people over but like people would find out and so I got picked on a little bit for that and then I got a boyfriend and he was a little bit older and he was popular and somewhat wealthy it was kind of like pretty in pink right the girl from the wrong side of the tracks Yes. Um, And that just made it even worse because the popular older girls like really went after me then. And it got to the and 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 I should say that it was I had a very unhealthy attachment to this guy because my home life was so kind of fractured and splintered. I craved a family. And so I became Mm -hmm. close with his family and it felt normal to have like a nuclear family to be a part of. And eventually the relationship went sour And I was absolutely heartbroken. And I just felt like, and this is when I was 16. And I felt like the only way that I was going to make it was if I got out of that town and moved back with my dad and just had like a fresh start because my grades were slipping. And I was, I'd always been a straight A student. So I went back to live with my dad when I was 16 and my grades shot up. I was doing really well in school again. Four months after I moved in with my dad, somebody ran a stop sign and hit him and killed him. Oh no. It was extremely traumatic. Oh. oh, who sees that coming in their life? That's horrible. It was really bad. It's, I actually had a premonition about it. Obviously, the premonition was that he would pass away or be out of your life, but did you actually picture exactly what happened? 
No, I pictured, I every, it was like when I went to sleep at night, this voice, it was my voice, but I wasn't originating the thought was saying, what would you do if your dad died? What would you do? How would you handle it? What would you freak out? Like, and I was like, why am I think like, it was so weird. Did you answer your own questions? I think I kind of did. I just wasn't sure. Like, I just couldn't even process that even happening. Oh, boy. Because I still was so wounded from my mom leaving us. Sure. You know, sure. Was, yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're starting to stack them up. These problems. Yeah. And big ones. Yeah. And I was alone when the sheriff came and told me. And as I mean, yeah. that shock of, I mean, I, I literally fell to the ground, like it knocked the wind out of me and I just could not believe it. And my brother happened to be in town for a wedding. Cause he was already now living on his own with his wife, now wife mm-hmm. who I mm-hmm. love. Good. And I was trying to track him down and I like, I couldn't dial the phone. I was like shaking. Then I had to tell my brother kind of like when you had to tell your family members yes. and yeah. him and my dad were extremely close and I knew uh, it was going to absolutely break his heart. And I just had to tell him, you know, we had to get through that and get through the funeral. And I lived with a friend for about three months this summer trying to figure out what I was going to do. Cause I did not want to go back and live with my mom. I didn't want to go back to the situation I was in. With the school and the bad behavior there. Right. And so I ended up going back. Yes. I had to go back. And what I did was she worked in Napa. I think we used her work address or I don't remember what we did. And I ended up going to high school in Napa. And I did fine. I did great. My grades shot up. And then I left home when I was 19. I went to live with my brother in Los Angeles, got a job and started living life as an adult. And I had fun. It was good. What was the job? My job was, I was an optician's assistant and I'm still very good friends with my old boss. His name is Stan. (laughs) We're (laughs) still very close. I helped people with picking out glasses and frames and I was pretty young. I was only 20 when they hired me. Then I ended up working for an insurance broker and then the earthquake hit in Northridge and I just, I had to get out of LA. I was like so terrified and I'd been kind of carjacked. They didn't get the car, but I was, my friend and I were, they smashed my, my windshield and it was terrifying. And then the earthquake hit and I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm not supposed to be here. So I packed my stuff and I moved to San Diego. So I I got there, um, got a job. And then I met, I had a boyfriend, a, a pretty serious relationship. It lasted almost two years. We were young. I mean, I was 21 and he was, I think 19 when we started dating and he started showing signs of jealousy. You know, I was 21 years old. I was cute. Did you at least get the kind of romantic start at the beginning? Was it nice for at least a little bit? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was fun. It was healthy. I mean, we were both working and I really fell in love with his mom. Like his mom and I were, she was sort of like such an important mentor in my life. Yeah, you needed that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I know I'm just thinking because I hid, I hid what he was doing, started doing to me from her, from like his yes. family. Oh, sure. They had no idea what had been going on. And this saw me as like this person that broke their loved one's heart. But what they didn't know is that he had pushed me down on the bed and threw spaghetti in my face. And he would get mad at me if other people showed me any attention. It was, it was my fault. And he would take it out on me. That's what actually what I wanted to get to is the jealousy part. What, what was going yeah. on that uh, sparked him into jealous behavior? So it's you were getting positive attention and he didn't like that. He did not like it. Right. The breaking point for me, and we lived together. And the breaking point for me was I went into our bedroom and I shut the door because he was like yelling and just being out of control. And he broke the door down and he grabbed me by my neck and like pinned me to the bed. I was like, I was done. I'm like, I'm not going to put up with this. And I ended the relationship. Well, before you were done, did you think you were done? I mean, did you think for a moment, this is it? It's curtains. I'm going to die. He's got you by the neck. No, I didn't think I was going to die, but I felt like that was like a serious precursor. Like I felt like if he's willing to do this, okay, what else is he going to do? Yeah, we're getting close now. Yes. So that w- that was it for him. Ended that relationship. Correct. He's now married and has been married. He's very healthy and happy and a good father and whatever. Oh, I don't know okay. why that I, I chalk it up to maybe immaturity. I don't know. An anger management issue is what he had. So maybe he you know, maybe called a timeout and got some help. Maybe. So then shortly thereafter, I met 
who would become my husband, my now ex-husband. Um, he was older than I am. And I would say very normal start to the relationship. I was a little bit hesitant because of what I was just coming out of. I had told myself, I'm not going to date anybody. I'm going to focus on school because I was going to college and working. And just, I just didn't want any problems in my life at that time, obviously. And this guy was eight years older, right? He was eight years older than I. Yes. Okay. You know, he was, he was funny. He was loving, felt like he was positive. But after we had our son, I would say maybe within that first year, I, I feel like, I don't know if it was like life pressure, financial, I, I don't know what, but he really would start this thing where he would make fun of me. I remember a specific time, my son was five months old and I had scheduled to have a, a birthday party for my husband and we invited all his friends over and my friends as well. And the topic of tattoos came up. We were all like saying tattoo, like what tattoos we would get. And, and I said, jokingly, I said, haha, you should get like my name tattooed on your arm or my face. I said something silly. And he goes, yeah, you on your broomstick. And I was like, and I'm not, a, wow. I'm not a nasty person. And wow. it was just, and everybody was laughing and you're not a, not a witch. That really hurt me because I went through all the trouble for him mm -hmm, to make sure right. his day was special. And so we ended up having a daughter. So my kids are two years apart and they're wonderful children. They're very successful. Good. And it just got worse. The passive aggressiveness. He was like very controlling about money. He would. Okay. Give me a snapshot about that part. If you don't mind the financial yeah, so abuse or whatever it was. Financially, he just like overspent. He was in control of paying the bills and like our power would get shut off. Our water would get shut off. Our cable would get shut off because he wasn't paying the bills. And I'm like, or I'd be at Costco with a basket full of groceries and a toddler and the bank card wouldn't work. Card wouldn't go. And so he was spending lavishly for things he thought were important to him. And then everybody else can just wait till he gets ready to pay them, et cetera. Yeah. Felt like that. Anyways, and he wouldn't let me handle the bills. It just it was what he was doing. Because I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I dabbled here and there. I did little jobs for people, writing, freelance writing, and different things. But really, mm -hmm. he was, he, obviously, he was the breadwinner. Then he was doing this thing where he would take the wind out of my sails. So, like, anytime I hit a milestone or was, I did something very successful or something to be very proud of, mm. he would undercut me somehow. It was very manipulative and very sneaky. It was a very mm. sneaky thing that he would do. He would also ice me out emotionally. He would just sort of stop talking to me, like for no reason. I, I, and I tried to talk to him about it many times and he just wasn't changing. And I finally just had reached my limit and had enough. I really didn't want my kids for either of them to pick somebody that like that. I felt like sure. yeah, it would be better to end the marriage than to role model that. And obviously my story gets much worse. And so I ended the marriage. The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big, bulky blenders are a real pain to use. But the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code WHENDATINGHURTS12 for your 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. That's BlendJet. Now, how did it go when you 
I guess you broke the news to him or you went to a lawyer first and then broke the news to him. I'm not sure the path you took. What was the reception of you saying we're done? We talked about it. We we stayed living together, but in separate rooms out of financial necessity. And then I met Michael. So I, I met him at work. He was also going through a challenging time um, in his marriage. He was separated from his, his ex-wife and going through the divorce process. Mm-hmm. I sort of befriended him or we befriended each other, maybe because that was happening in both of our lives. But I absolutely had zero like romantic interest in him. It was totally platonic. So you're just sharing stories about marriages coming apart. And... Actually en- encouraging him to go to counseling because he oh. seemed he was still in love the way I perceived it. And they had a child together and he just expressed that it was too far gone. Then he had a blowout with her and we talked about it and he said that he pushed her. Okay. It was obviously concerning and he got arrested. Oh. He said that she made a lot of it up and... It ended up going to trial and he was acquitted Oh, because she really didn't have injuries and it doesn't matter. Like he should never have put his hands on her at all, like period. But that was, the trial was later on in our relationship. But so we were friends for about a year and then the relationship turned more romantic. But in that first year, like looking back, I can see him laying the groundwork as me as his sort of like a mark, like his next supply, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, showing all of the things that I like to do. Which is called mirroring, right? Totally. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's seeing what you like to do. He's now doing it. And you're thinking, oh, that's really nice. Which could yeah. it could be. It doesn't mean, you know, it's not like if somebody starts getting involved in things you like to do that they should break up immediately. But you're right. We're all really smart later on. We look back. It's like, wow, this whole thing was crafted just to catch me. Correct. You know, I was a naive and loving person, which is a double-edged sword because I didn't see what was happening. And it was like the total cliche frog in boiling water. I just didn't even see it. Mm -hmm. Now looking back, I can totally see it. But at the time I just didn't see it. And slowly, and I'd been desensitized in my marriage to sort of accept the mental abuse emotional abuse. So I was a little bit desensitized to it, what my therapist tells me. So that kind of set me up for this situation. So he started, started, I feel like he was controlling, but it was very, it was like, he he wanted a lot of my attention and a lot of my time. Now you're not dating at this point? We're we're never married. We just dated. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess I can talk about maybe the first time he blew up at me. Yeah, of course you can. We were, at the time, I was a part-time doing real estate, and I had a deal in escrow. And you're a homeowner, you've you've gone through the process, and a lot of times these things are timely. You have 24 hours to turn something around, to get signatures, whatever. So I had to keep my eye on my phone, because I was right in the thick of it. We were at a winery, and I was looking at my phone, and I had to respond to somebody. And he grabbed the phone out of my hand and slammed it down. And we had plans to go away for like the weekend for a travel writing assignment, actually, for me. And he said, I'm not going. And like, I think he cussed me out and got up. And this is in front of a like a totally a busy place with people. Mm-hmm. And he stomped out. And I was like, I, I was in shock. Like, I didn't even know nobody had ever yelled at me like that other than my dad. I had, I mean, it was really scary. And so I sort of gathered myself and I went to my car and he was waiting at the car and he got in the car and he, he was just like, he was steaming mad. And I was like, what is, you know, like, what is wrong? Like, what's, I have to check my phone. Like, you know, this, he was in real estate too. And he just started yelling at me, screaming at me, cussing at me. And I started like hysterically crying. I, I couldn't get him to stop. And I didn't know what to do. I remember calling a friend and crying and telling her and she was concerned. And then I ended up just, I dropped him off and I ended up chalking it up to the stresses that he was under. He was fighting with his ex-wife. She wasn't, she was fighting him over custody and it was pretty ugly. But instead of me taking that opportunity to end the relationship, I made excuses for him because now he had been sort of planting all these seeds in me. And that is what started, kicked off the cycle of abuse that I would say that was, for me, that was the beginning point. 
I had a friend recently tell me that she remembers that he would just blow up my phone. Anytime I wasn't with him, he was constantly texting me, Uh, constantly texting me. And I would get nervous. It made me anxious. That's a big warning sign. Yes. Big warning sign. Huge. Yes. Huge. He would just, he wanted to monopolize all of my time. Which is isolation. Totally. And I have two kids and I was busy. You're going right down the list. This guy is a classic. Oh, classic narcissist. So. Yes, he is too. Yes. And there was a lot of push and pull. Like once, I feel like once he realized that I fell in love with him, if you want to call it that, it's not to me now, it's like not a healthy love. It's not at all. That is sort of when he flipped. Like once he realized I was kind of his, like he had captured me, Mm. that's when his true, his mask came off. Right. He didn't have to be the nice guy. He didn't have to be Dr. Jekyll. He could be Mr. Hyde, right? Yes. And then the first time he hit me, we were arguing in his home and I did live with him for one year, but I don't think I was living with him yet. Or maybe I was. I honestly, I don't remember. Okay. I remember we were standing like on the staircase and we were arguing about something because I, I'm, I'm not like a shrinking violet type of person. I'm, I'm kind, but I'm like, I'm not going to feel like I will stand up for what I believe in and try to right a wrong, mm-hmm. be rational. So I was, I think I was just standing up to him, maybe trying, trying to draw a boundary. I don't know. And he just slapped me across the face. Like uh, he's, he's a big guy, his big hands. Mm-hmm. And it like shocked me. So I slapped him back like, hey, which it's not, I know, because I sh- I, it, it startled me. Sure. Yeah. Who wants that? And then he really hit me. Oh. And then he hit me, hit me where it like rang my bells. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And then I realized, okay, I'm, I will never win this fight. Mm-hmm. Like this sure. is not a match right. for me. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be bad. And then we would go through the honeymoon phase and the da da da, and the ten, like it was the total the wheel, this the domestic violence wheel to a sure T. Sure so slap and then slap back and then slap harder or he punched you or whatever he did. But where's the convincing apology part fit in? Where's the part where for some people it's just the fact that that ended and there's peace in the land that that's enough to kind of hang in there. But did he try to did he try to render some kind of an apology or? point to things in his life or his poor upbringing, or I was raised by a foster family and and I snapped. Did he? I don't think he did. And he rarely apologized. He would do more things like take me on a date, do something nice for me. Like that was kind of his way. Buy you a gift, do something nice. Something like that. Uh Go away for the weekend. Yeah. Or like take me to like, I'm a, I love, I'm a foodie. And so he would take me to like a good restaurant or something. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times he would sidestep and put the blame on me somehow mm-hmm. Okay. to the point where obviously that's why I was stuck in that situation for so long. And this is something I really hope the listeners of your show will understand okay. is that I was so broken down emotionally and psychologically that it's kind of like, I didn't have the strength to pull myself out. I, I, I was almost like brainwashed into thinking something was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'm the one somehow creating this. I'm the problem. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but clearly I wasn't the problem here. Okay. So to continue this down this road, yes, he pushed me down the stairs and I hit my forehead right on the corner of a coffee table. Lucky I didn't break my neck and my forehead split open. It knocked me out. I was out cold for a brief time. And I remember having to come up with a, my, it, both my eyes were black. I had this gash in my forehead. I lied and told my mom that I tripped over, say the small dogs. I tripped over his dog. I, I mean, I just had to lie to everybody to explain away this horrible injury. Mm-hmm. And again, then he, that I do believe he apologized and said that he, that I was off balance. I, I don't, it was some cockamamie thing. But he did give you a push on the other hand. He did shove me away from him. Yes. And then I can think of another example. We were actually on a trip to see a friend and we were lost after we were leaving her house. We were about an hour and a half drive away from home. And I pulled up my phone. He had a real issue with me being on my phone. Pulled up my phone to pull up Google Maps to try to get us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And he just punched me. He just, out of the clear blue, just punched me in the chest. Oh. So hard. I was like, pull over, like, just let me out of this car. I figured I'd call my mom. They would come get me. I know it was a drive, but I was like, and he wouldn't let me out of the car. Drove us home. And I mean, I could go on and on with these stories. I mean, it, I, 
he harmed me more times than I can count. But I feel like the turning point came when I sent one of my good friends a picture of myself uh-huh. where I had a black eye and he had bit my nose. So my nose, I had a like a wound on the tip of my nose. I have I have like several scars on my face. If you don't know, you probably wouldn't notice them. No. But, but anyways, I sent my friend this photo thinking if, if I ever die, something happens to me. I want somebody to know yes. that this man has been abusing me. Of course. And he called the police. He called the local sheriffs and they called me. At the time, I was a journalist. So my name was in the paper, my byline all the time. And I felt as a single mom, I, I, I had to work. I could not jeopardize an income. When the deputy called me, I told him I didn't want to press charges, but I wanted to tell him what happened. And so I opened up to this deputy. I was crying. I was telling him I hadn't told anybody really. Even to the friend I sent the photo to, I probably downplayed it. Mm-hmm. The deputy convinced me to come into the station and I still had bruises and he took photos of me. And that's when I first met investigator Rachel Frost, who I hope you have on your podcast. She's amazing. Well, make um, a special note to do that. Yes. I interviewed with her. She's a DV expert. She would be like the expert that would go on the witness stand in DV cases mm-hmm. and explain to the jury like what domestic mm-hmm. violence Subject matter expert. And, yes. Absolutely. And as I mentioned, I, I ended up backing out because I was terrified of losing my job. I was terrified of being outed, really, that this was going on. So then some time passed. We actually split up for a time. Got back together again, the push-pull. And Did he come with a lot of promises? When he came back, Oh yeah, it was all the promises, like I see the error of my ways, so to speak, and, and uh, that'll never happen. Kind of. Okay. Not, not that language, but but I mean, for you to get back in, in, the, in his get back in the ring with this guy, you know, you've you've been yeah, through it a he, number of times. So I, I, I guess let, yeah, let me ask you the was, question everybody asks, and I and I have a feeling for where it goes. But <laughs> but the question everybody would ask is, why on earth do you go back to a guy that's done that to you? The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by Cure Hydration. The purpose of the When Dating Hurts podcast is for us to achieve healthier relationships in life. The purpose of Cure is to help achieve healthier hydration routines. Dehydration is the leading cause of daytime fatigue. Even mild dehydration can cause muscle weakness and brain fog. I feel it when I'm playing pickleball for hours and water doesn't do enough. I was excited when I discovered Cure. It's an electrolyte packet that hydrates just as effectively as an IV drip. Cure packets are convenient and easy to use. Just mix them with water, then drink. Pretty perfect when you're on the go, or traveling, or really anytime you need a fast hydration boost. Cure helps your body absorb water and rehydrate quickly, and Cure comes in a bunch of delicious flavors. Just mix Cure in 8 to 16 ounces of water, and you're good to go. Try Cure soon, and you'll feel the difference. Head to curehydration.com, and when you check out, add my discount code, when dating hurts one. All one word, no spaces, when dating hurts one. And you'll get 20% off your order of Cure. Cure hydration with Cure. Why on earth do you go back to a guy that's done that to you? I've been asked that. I know you have. I'm sure of it. I would say for the hope that he would change, for the belief that he would change. You know, I, I was so, again, not thinking straight. I did not have a clear mind. Thinking that he that he would change, I I felt sad for him. I thought, here's this guy, ex-wife, won't let him see his kid. Also, didn't get along with anybody in his family except for one sister, which is a red flag. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, everything everything was always everybody else's fault, and so I felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. And then he would say he was sorry, it wasn't going to happen. He's getting healthy, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And again, I was I was so like. I was so unstable in relationship to him. You know, I mean, my job was stable. You know, I was on a regular schedule with my kids and it was like my life was so segmented. I had to keep it like that in order to function. So I was like off balance. Yeah, some people in the circumstance like that, no matter how bad it is, and it's pretty bad, definitely pretty bad, will say, you know, you're right. I mean, their their own mind, their own self-esteem is on such rocky ground, so unbalanced. And then the other Bingo. then the other thing is that they say, well, okay, right now I have two options. 
I have this person who does this and maybe he really will stop. He seems like he means it. And I kind of know what life is like with him because there are some good days. So if I could just kind of manage through that. On the other hand, what's behind door number two is I don't know what's behind door number two. So it's, it's in this case, truly the devil I know versus the one I don't know. How's that match up with your head at that time? Perfect. Okay. That's what you said it perfectly. Okay. Perfectly. Yes. So this continued on. I was telling my now awesome husband this, I was talking to him about coming on and doing this and I was trying to make bullet points in my head. And there was a time he had these two dogs and two cats. And when he would yell, his dog would urinate. And I think he was yelling and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave. Like I don't, cause a lot of times I would just exit the situation. His dog peed on the stairs on the, on the carpet. He went to get paper towels and was like dabbing it. My back was to him and I was putting stuff in my purse to leave. And he came up behind me and he rubbed that paper towel all over my face. Oh, good gracious. That's. So this is the kind of. That's out there. Sick individual. That, he that is sick. Yes. So just punishment. Wow. Punishing, punishing, punishing. Mm. Eventually the, the, the outburst started to include, he started strangling me. Mm. He hurt me terribly. He basically held me hostage at his home overnight. That's where he fractured my sternum. I didn't know it was fractured until later when I, they, they injected dye in my body to look for previous broken bones. And I did have a fractured sternum, which. How did he do that? Is that a big punch in the chest? That, and he was like kneeling on me with his knee into my chest, like pinning me to the ground. I reached back out to Rachel Frost and let her know what was going on. And she was like, okay, I'm so glad that you, that you're, that you're doing this. I I felt at that time, if I didn't do this, my life was over. Like he was absolutely going to kill me. 100%. If you, meaning if you didn't go to Rachel and you really started taking her advice big time, right? Then correct. You, your time was limited on earth. I felt that in my soul. Yes. And even though it was hard, I did it. And I've told my, my boss at work, I told my editor and she was incredibly supportive. Um, so then that took pressure off of me. I'm like, okay, my editor knows I'm not going to get fired. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's nice to have that. And so I did start telling people, and so I started, maybe that probably is part of it. I just thought of that is feeling, I was starting to feel support from, from people. And a lot of people, when they go through, like you said earlier, they go through what you're going through. They feel like they're on an island by themselves. I mean, they feel, they never felt more alone in their lives. Now you've kind of got your, your support team. What a wonderful feeling that had to be for you. It was, it was good, but it, I was terrified at the same time because I knew his life was going to take a turn, which he rightfully deserves. But it's still at that time, I was still so trauma bonded to him. Yeah, um, good way to put it. Yes. So see, this is so crazy. So they've documented my injuries. She downloaded my phone to corroborate my story. And then she, when the DA came back and said, yes, they want to file charges. She had broken her back the day, like the file landed on her desk. And so she didn't see that for like two months. She broke her back. So Rachel Frost, the person who's going to pull you out of this nightmarish hell you were living in, breaks her back that day. Correct. How did she do that? I don't know. And I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. That's amazing. I mean, you must have awakened that morning feeling like, wow, things are really moving. And then you yeah. find that out. It's Correct. like, what are you talking about? That. Well, I didn't know. Oh. So I just didn't hear from her for, for weeks. And I was like thinking okay, I'm still alive. There are people being murdered. They have bigger situations to deal with than this. This, this must not be that important, which is sad, but that's, and that's not true, but that's what I was thinking. Of course you did. Casually reached out to her. I think I emailed her and I think I called and left her a message and she got right back to me, told me what happened, was so sorry. They were filing charges. This is when it was going to happen. Michael knew that I had gone to the police, but he didn't know this, the other parts of this. So he would check the court website every single day. And he checked and saw that he had a warrant out and his bail was at half a million dollars. He wanted me to meet with him. I, I didn't know this was happening. I didn't know like the day they were filing. I, I didn't know like a timeline. I just knew it was going to be happening. And he called me, was texting me and 
like he did constantly wanting me to meet him. And I was on deadline. I had a story I was working on. I, I couldn't rush out to meet him. I didn't want to go to his house. I didn't feel safe going to his house. No, I wouldn't be safe going to him. I told him when I was finished, when I filed my story that I, w- I would meet him in a public place. Oh. We met and he looked terrible. And he said, they're coming for me. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, they're coming for me. He's like, get in the truck. He wanted me to get in his vehicle. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not getting in that. I was like, he's going to kidnap me and take me and oh. murder me. Like I wasn't going to get of in the course. car. Yeah, of course. So I rolled the windows down on my car. He came and got in my car. And again, we're in a public place. And he showed me the printout, the warrant. And I looked at him and I said, what did you do? Did you do anything to cause this? Did you do anything at all for them to file these charges? And he would not accept responsibility. He never has, except when he pled guilty. But that was just, anyways, that was to save his own skin from more jail I'm sure a plea bargain situation at that point. It was. It was. Yeah, of course. So. But he's, but yeah, in his mind, he hadn't made a mistake yet. No. It was my fault. He's like, do you want me to, you know, he'd always say that. Do you want me to go to jail? Do you want me to, do you want me to lose my, my livelihood? I'll never see my son again. And putting it all back on me to which I kept saying, well, what did you do? Did you do anything? No. And he wouldn't, he just, he would not answer that question. He would not own it. So that same day he went, he had a big deal in escrow and he convinced his client, who's also a friend to basically pay him the commission up front, which was $44,000. And he mm-hmm. went and paid his bail and bailed out before they served, before they could arrest him. Wow. So now he's out on bail. That was in June of 2016. And then from June to September, when he was arrested, that, that was where I, I was still seeing him, but I was, I was seeing him because I felt like I had to, to stay alive. I felt like if I pulled the cord and went no contact, 100%, I was, I was not going to survive that. Because he put the pieces together and say, you're the one that did this to me for real. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's incredible that you, that you had the guts You can say courage if you want and you're brave, but that's just guts. I mean, you're walking a tightrope with this guy. It was a crazy gamble. It was a crazy gamble because at any because he did almost kill me during those four months before he was arrested. That's it ramped up even more. We're just awful. And that's where I ended up in the emergency room. I thought he broke my arm. I couldn't move my arm. And that's he he hit me in the face with one of his leather shoes. That's the picture I sent you with my black eye. Yes, I saw that. But I mean, would he take the shoe off and hit you? Yeah, he took, he was wearing like leather flip-flops and he took his shoe off and he swung and he just, he came around and hit me right in the face with it. And I felt my eye instantly start swelling and he, he fell asleep and I snuck out. I went to the hospital. I drove myself with one arm to the hospital and the deputy came and took a report. And that was sad too, because I could tell the deputy was really disappointed in me. I, that's the energy I felt from him. I mean, okay. Explain that. Meaning it like just, lady, how many times do you have to have something yes. happen? You mean, and you're yes. still going back for more. Yes. When dating hurts is sponsored by better help. I wish someone had given me guidance earlier in life on setting boundaries. What I mean is deciding what I would allow or how much, or maybe none at all. Saying no had always been the hardest word for me to say. When it was really getting to me, I called upon a therapist who said, for me to find balance, I needed to set boundaries, to listen to how I felt, draw the line, and not feel taken advantage of. I learned it was okay to say no. If you've ever thought about trying therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's conveniently flexible and will work within your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want at no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash WhenDatingHurts and get 10% off your first month. Find more balance with BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash WhenDatingHurts. I couldn't, I couldn't verbalize 
then what I know to be true now is that I felt like I had to do that to avoid dying. Like I really yes. did something, my survival instinct, that was what I needed to do. Yes. So in September of that year, he had another court date and unbeknownst to him, investigator Rachel Frost and her brilliance requested a bail enhancement to a million dollars for him because she knew the end was near for me. I mean, she t later told me they would look in the newspaper like they were afraid they were going to read that I had been murdered. They go right to the obits. Yep. Oh, so gee. he went that that was that was the last that was when I went no contact when he went to court that day, and the judge agreed to the bail enhancement, and he was remanded into custody right then and there because nobody was going to loan him a hundred thousand dollars, which would have that's what he would have yeah. I think it's like 10%. He didn't have anybody that was going to give him $100,000 that you'll never get back. Oh, so if the bail's a million, someone doesn't have to give them a million? Correct. Or they're on the hook for the other 900000 Is that the idea? I don't know how that totally works. That's a very good question. Okay. So he went to prison. He went Well, he went to county jail. Then I went in back to Rachel. And I was still like in such a state of shock. I was actually worried about him because he was so particular and like really weak when you're looking back very like sensitive to his environment and everything had to be his way and everything had to be just so that yeah they don't don't set up a prison cell quite by uh you know exactly the way you'd like it to you're not going to repaint the place probably and give him a nice cellmate yeah i'm sure he was out of his happy zone yeah but what i want to say and this is something too that i was really crucial to me Yes. Besides like hiking and getting out in fresh air and like getting good sleep and like really healing was that the, my advocates and Rachel Frost told me in about three months, this veil is going to start lifting off of you. This, whatever this is at this heaviness, and you're going to be able to start seeing clearly. I know you don't feel it right now. They likened it to coming off of drugs and I've never been addicted to drugs, but it, that's what they told me it can be like. And sure enough, at about the three-month mark, I was seeing clearly, and I was done. Gee. I was like, I had turned that corner, and I was done. The trance that he had on you had lifted. Completely. And I... I yeah, isn't that interesting? And I didn't wow. think it was possible. I really, truly thought I was doomed forever when I was in the thick of all of this. I thought, I'm never going to be normal I don't know what I did in another life to deserve this, but I'm just going to be stuck in this state of, of just misery. And that's not mm -hmm. the truth. I can tell you right now, speaking to you, it's, it absolutely is not the truth. He sat in prison or in county jail for a year. I guarantee he thought he could outsmart the legal system, outsmart the DA's office. But Rachel wasn't letting this one go, and she knew how dangerous he is. And at the 11th hour, I had to go in and like do like a trial prep with the, one of the DAs that was on the case. And you were you kind of practicing being on the witness stand? Yeah, they were just trying to kind of rattle me a little bit, like kind of let me know what kind of questions they were going to ask on the defense side and like the tactics they were probably going to pull. Mm -hmm. And I think because I can be articulate. I think that they felt like I was going to be such a strong witness that he was going to, he needed to take a plea deal. So he accepted a plea deal. Okay. They called me Good. and said, are you willing to do this? He's going to plead. So he was charged with 17 felonies. He, 17. 17. He pled to five. I believe two were strikes and eight years in prison and like big boy, scary prison would I agree to that? And I said, yes, because I didn't, I really didn't want to go to trial. I, I was going to do it, but I didn't want to. Now, really it's, this is California still, Correct. right? And it's really, isn't it really California versus this guy? It's not you. Right. It's California versus this guy, but they're going to you to get your comfort and feelings about it. But it is their call, meaning they could disagree with you and they could go to California. You could go down any path they wanted to. Correct. Because you just don't know, you know, you, you can go to trial and you can think you, have everything absolutely lined up, but you're you're at the mercy of the judge to a great degree, and you're at the mercy of the jury if it's a jury trial. So at least with the plea, you know what you have. You may not like it. You may not think it's 100% fair, but you do know what you have. So right. I just want to backtrack 
for anybody that's dealing with somebody like this, in all likelihood, they don't change. They they don't. He will. I'm sure he's moved on. Unfortunately, he's probably he was released from prison in four years ago, so he's probably who knows. I have nightmares about it. I just pray that somebody does a deep background check, which I highly recommend doing. But a friend of his, I want to say within the first two weeks when he was arrested, a friend of his and mine sort of called me and wanted to meet with me. So I met with this guy and he's like, oh yeah, I went and saw Michael in jail. And he's like, I gave him a look like, like, what is wrong with you? Like, what did you do? And Michael's response was, she's crazy. I was like, he's he's never going to change. Like he's sitting in, in jail and he's still not saying, yeah, I, maybe I need to look at myself and and make some changes. Yeah. The parole office called me when he was getting paroled and I felt so, I was so terrified. I was, anytime I saw a vehicle that I thought looked like his, I would just start shaking. I was afraid he was going to jump out of the bushes and attack me, shoot me, stab me. I mean, I was terrified. Yes. Yeah. Rightfully so. And I talked to Rachel about it and she said that it was highly unlikely that he would ever come after me. I do have a 10 year restraining order against him, but it was highly that that he wouldn't want to go back to prison. He's too into himself. I wouldn't be worth it for him to go back because he probably did not have a good time. Too big a gamble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Big boy prison. Sure. So bad stuff. A couple steps back, you mentioned do a background check on someone. Where would you direct them to go to do that? Because some people have heard that, and I kind of know what you do, but I want to hear how you put it. You can go and pay like five bucks, and and it's kind of a preliminary value. It'll show if there's been an arrest record. But I think if you go on the county website, whatever county you're in, where that, where you, I don't know, I mean, I guess it does could be tricky if the person's moved to a different county, but there is a record of it. I wouldn't trust that, but yeah. And I did. Yeah, I know there's some, there's one, there's one called Intellius that I used a few years back checking someone out and it's a little hit or miss. The person I was checking out, I got a lot of information on. Mm-hmm. And then I saw there were other people in that person's family and darn if without paying any more money, I paid like $50. There were other people in the family and I had all this information on them too, but there were some people in the family, there was nothing, just nothing, just a name, nothing. But what I did find was mind blowing and they were old phone numbers, they were old addresses, uh, where people worked. I mean, it was amazing. So it's, it's a loaded trunk once in a while. And then sometimes there's just very little there. Yeah. But you know, somebody has a, a sordid past it's good to know that. So I would say to somebody, look, if you're getting serious about some man or woman you're dating, or if you're, for instance, if your child is dating somebody and Mm -hmm. you're worried, I'd say do something with that worry. It's worth, you were saying $5, but it's like $5.50. I'd say uh, jump on there and start spending your 50s. This is the time. I agree with that a thousand percent. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I just hope, I'm sure he's victimizing somebody else. I mean, the man's not going to change, but I can't worry about it anymore. I mean, that's, that's in my past. It's also out of your control. It's completely out of my control. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I mean, you can't be um, following him around, which you wouldn't want to do in the first place. And then every time he, yeah. you see him at McDonald's with somebody, you wait for him to go use the men's room and you run up and say, let me tell you something. Uh, this guy is really going to make your life a living hell. And uh, I got to run. I know some people who've done that type of thing. They've actually found the next woman one way or another, not not the McDonald's scene I just gave you. Right. But they found the next woman and said, hey, look, you know, I was married to this guy. I had five kids with this guy. Here's what he did. Get out with your skin. And the person's like, nah, I heard about you. You know, just pretty much what you heard. It's like, you know, you're, um, you're a little bit of a head case. And um, I think really the baggage was you. And uh, no, I'm good with him. And then in this one instance, this woman who was originally married to this guy who was abused all over the place found out that he then did the same thing to the next one identically. And then this case went to prison. And in this case, not only went to prison, but he was murdered in prison. Oh, my goodness. He was thrown over a railing of the second floor. It's one less perpetrator. Well, what's really interesting, too, I, I just had this memory of when I was just coming out of that situation. He'd been arrested. I was interviewing a country singer. 
actually Jana Kramer, and she was, she's been very vocal about her domestic violence situation. I believe her ex-husband, he was horribly abusive to her. She's a beautiful girl, so talented. And he went on to abuse the next one. I, I don't think he's living anymore, but it was just interesting that I was having this, her and I like opened up to each other, you know, because here's this, you know, it just can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. As you know, you had a brilliant, beautiful daughter. Yes. And it just can, and I lost a lot of friends through this process. People thought I was Something was wrong with me because I kept going back, you know, and that's what's so wonderful about what you're doing in your book is you're educating people because it happens to one in three women, one in three women. And that's just the physical part. Correct. Correct. So, and I actually don't have a statistic for the emotional part of it. I don't, but I mean, look, if it's one in three who get to the point where it's serious physical violence, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't render a guess as to how many people are in emotionally abusive relationships or marriages or, yeah, it's interesting too, like for you, you know, in the place that you are now, and maybe if people find out about what you've been through and same thing in our family, people will search me out, you know, even before I did the podcast, people will search me out. If I gave a speech, people, and I just did this last week in North Carolina Mm -hmm. uh, at a high school, but, but some of the girls specifically in this case, came up to me afterwards when nobody was really around very much, just very few people, and just came up and said, you know, I'm going through this right now with this boy. So I asked her, I encouraged her to get with the counselors. And about two hours later, she was with the counselors and was talking to them about being with me. And next thing you know, the counselor comes in with her and the three of us are having a chat. So that got speeded up. She went from being on that island all by herself alone, dealing with the problems this guy was putting in front of her and she wasn't handling very well. And then all of a sudden she was getting at least the beginnings of help. So see if it, and if it can help one person, but it's, I feel like what you're doing is helping so many people and not just the person that's being victimized, but helping the people around them to recognize the signs. Because like in my situation, like I explained, I didn't even see it. And I wasn't a grown woman. I didn't realize what was happening that I was being just reeled right in. I had, I, I didn't know what I know now. No, no. I've asked myself many times if it were turned the other way around, if I was, had a relationship or was dating some woman and she was pulling all the warning signs going down the list. I just figure it's difficult with her. But if I thought I really loved that person, they, they would sucker me in. I'd I'd be up and down that list of classic warning signs left and right having it happen to me. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're all Einstein after the facts, you know, are sure. out and you've had time to back up and get a little bit of distance and you can see all those things. But as you were going through the yeah. warning signs, I mean, I just gave talks last week and every time you did, I was like going down to the next line in the PowerPoint. You know, it's like, oh, how about this? That's how about this? That's why I asked about the romantic part. But then I could throw in things like isolation and then actual violence and threats of violence. And then this kind of convincing apology is the term I usually use. And, and as I say, for some mm-hmm. people, the convincing apology is the fact that the dust settles and the war has stopped for a while. You know, it, some, on some days, not getting hit or not getting threatened or not being yelled at is enough peace to, to keep you in it which is so sad. This ends part one of Stephanie's story. In part two, you will see the depths one man can go to in making Stephanie's life a living hell. And yet, with all of his fiendish behavior, he never once took responsibility for his actions. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play Survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil, all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.
guys, I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking, brought to you from Podcast One. Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words. Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know? We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked. So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. Mm -hmm.